Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Okay, today's episode, we're going to dip into the 2023 class, Hall of Fame class WBCA, as we're here in the uh, sixth inning of Game 5. We're going to make a trip to Eau Claire and sit down with recently retired head baseball coach at Eau Claire North High School, Bob Johnson. Now, Coach Johnson, again, is going in with this 2023 Hall of Fame class, which I think many would argue is is the strongest, uh, one of the strongest in state history. Don't want to offend anybody, but man, you look at some of these guys, and, and Bob is right there. And we're talking about some like eye-popping numbers, right? A career winning percentage of 795, 307 and 79 in 17 years, uh, nine conference championships, um, eight trips to state two state championships 2011 and 2019 you know and um I, I remember the 2019 game and you know, some of the heroics at the end and just just a phenomenal you know that was kind of when everybody came together between spring and summer 2019 was the first season this is before covid shutdowns and you know you look at baseball division one baseball across the state of wisconsin and you cannot talk about the blue bloods of spring baseball division one without talking about eau claire north and what you're going to hear from Coach Johnson, it's, you know, he understands um, that it's a mixture of talent and systems. That's kind of what I take from this episode is there's his perspective is incredible. But the, the system, the program, his assistance, the community, um, all the baseball. And then, you know, you have high end talent. You know, one number that stood out to me um, as kind of reading up on his bio a little bit. He's had four players be um, WBCA player of the year. Right, you, you, you have high-end talent. you got a great baseball community. Um, Eau Claire is a thriving area um, in regards to the baseball talent across the state of Wisconsin. And I'm just so excited for you guys to hear Bob talk, uh, reflect on his career. Again, doing it at such a high level. We're talking about a state tournament team last year, right? Two-seed, you know, phenomenal record. Um, yeah, so without further ado, recently retired, now Hall of Fame baseball coach, at Eau Claire North High School, Bob Johnson. Hey, Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Hey, so how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and hearing so much about your background and your career and a little bit of life uh, after retirement. So once you get us started, take us back, you know, where are you from, born and raised? Um, take us through your journey, uh, maybe as, as a player first. Well, I, I, I grew up in Egan, Minnesota. I went to Burnsville High School. Uh, I'm the son of two teachers. My dad was a, an interesting combination. He was an English teacher, fire teacher. You don't see many of those. Uh, he was a football and wrestling coach. My mom was a, a high school basketball player and a media specialist. Uh, I graduated high school from Burnsville in 1986. And from there, I went to Winona State. Uh, I was fortunate enough to kind of walk on and try out at Winona State and made the team there and got to be a part of their baseball team for, well, as an eligible player, four years, obviously, but I, I did some coaching with them and um, just had a wonderful experience down there in Winona. And from there, I, I think I spent six months as a substitute and I was the Washington middle school coach in inner city St. Paul for a spring. They, that, that program had not won a game in four years. Um, 
a wide variety of ethnic backgrounds and a wonderful experience. Um, but, but I got hired in Eau Claire in their elementary program in 1992. I've been at Locust Lane Elementary School for 31 years, uh, something I'm really proud of that I've got to spend all that time in the same building. Now with that, most of my career involves some travel, uh, doing special needs physical education. Um, and, and yeah, Eau Claire's been good to me. I, I started coaching football in 1995, baseball in 1996. And I've been doing it ever since up until, up until I guess this spring. So yeah, it's been a, been a fun journey. Well, before we dig into your coaching career, um, kind of going back to you as a player, I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, a little bit of your playing style, our, our playing styles rub off on how we coach. And, you know, so maybe give us a scouting report on you as a player, like what type of player were you, position player, pitcher, you know, go into that for us. Yeah, I, I really agree with you there. Um, and, and I'll get to that in a bit here. I, I was... For the people that know me out there, they're going to be surprised. I was a really small baseball player. I, I weighed about 130 pounds um, going into my senior year, and I, I'm good hundred over that now and then some. I I was a small middle infielder at Burnsville. I think defense was my calling card. I, I loved playing infield and certainly that middle. Uh, you know, coaches like big, strong players sometimes, and and so I was always competing for playing time. I, I, I would get DH for once in a while. I, I think that was an experience that helped me as a coach understand how to help those kids when, when I was putting a DH in my lineup card. Um, I didn't play every game. You know, I, I at Burnsville was a, was a powerhouse in the in the in the eight, late eighties, mid eighties. Um, a lot of a lot of great athletes, and so I really had to fight for playing time, play the game hard, uh, get my uniform dirty. Um, I think I had some skills, certainly, once again, certainly on defense, I could, I could bunt like crazy and a good contact player. Um, but I know those coaches looking for gap shots and the balls go over the fence. I was not that guy. Um, I, I grew after I graduated. I, I, I probably enrolled at Winona State as six feet tall. I, you know, I was 5'9", five, 5'10", five, most of my senior year. And I, I grew, I was late, late August birthday, so I was always one of the youngest in the class. Um, put on some weight got into the weight room a little bit and um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if the Winona State coach knew who I was when I went down there or not I, I jumped in the car with a pitcher from Winona State I'm sorry from Burnsville and kind of jumped into that recruiting visit and he goes you're 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 that little middle infielder right and we actually had another middle infielder who was a little bit bigger and maybe a little more talented than me and I'm wondering if he thinks I was him to this day but um I, I nodded my head and said yeah yeah I, I'm I'm that guy and uh, trials went, went wonderful. And I truthfully coming from a big school, you know, we had an enrollment of 2,600. Um, we were in a power conference in the, in the twin cities. I, I, I found that to go pretty smooth down there. I, I found myself able to play with those players, um, made the Winona state team, you know, and, and but I, but I, I, I think, and at Winona State, I, I had some good moments as a junior. Junior year was the year I played the most. Um, eventually, a better baseball player beat me out at first. I moved to first base, oddly enough. And, and a better player beat me out. And so, I, I once again, I, I had to 
work hard and fight and battle for playing time and, and find roles to help the team. Uh, a role that I did a ton of was bullpen catching. I, I just wanted to do something. And, um, you know, I was never a catcher, but I, I love the tools and the skills that go with that position. So, you know, going and helping the team be a bullpen catcher. Uh, my senior year, I think I got 14 at-bats. Most of those were charity at-bats in, in a game that was you know, probably over with. And, and so I kind of became the bullpen coach. You know, college is no different than high schools. You know, at the Division two, three level, you're always looking for someone to help. And, and so I would, Johnson, go get down to the bullpen and, you know, let me know when he's ready. And so I'd go down and be the bullpen guy and signal and catch two and just wearing a lot of roles. Um, I became the batting practice pitcher. Uh, that was a skill that, you know, as high school coaches, we, we certainly want to have. And I, my arm was always healthy. I could sit and throw strikes and mix speeds and do things to help our, to help our college team be better. So th those are some of the traits I think that helped me coaching down the road. Well, I got to imagine that, you know, all the, you know, decades and decades of, of coaching that you've have a little soft spot in your heart for, for kids like that, to come out in your program. And they're, they're kind of easy kids to root for because you can see yourself in that was, is that accurate? That is completely accurate. Um, with, with a player who you see yourself in and you can tell him I've been in that spot. You know, I, I, I wanted to hit all the time. And, and, and truthfully, in high school, I felt I could. I, I, I really did. Um, but you just have that compassion and understanding and the ability to have conversations with the kids and just don't assume by, you know, printing out a lineup card that they understand because they don't, they, they need guidance. They, they want to hear your stories. They want, they want to understand why you're doing things. It may, it may not mean they always like it. And, and, and you tell, you have that conversation too, you know, say, Hey, I, I get it. I wanted to play as well. And, and, and I, I understand that, but it certainly provides that background and, and compassion that sometimes you need to have with the kids. I appreciate you going into that. Well, so you get an education major, you, you, you know, you get to Eau Claire, you're teaching, you start to coach football and baseball. Um, but, you know, I really want to open up some of your coaching influences, kind of that, that sports talk radio question of you look back at your career and as a young coach or a veteran coach, you have those influences on you as a teacher and a coach and a leader. So who comes to mind when you think about those people and also like what lessons did they teach you? Yeah, this this question um, you put a lot of thought into because I, you know, my high school coach, my college coaches were all taught me a lot of things and um, provided me with a lot of knowledge of the game. But when I really dig into this question, I I kind of look at almost three categories and it, it starts with family. Um, I didn't get to see much of my father's career. I, I remember him as a wrestling coach and. Um, I remember him coaching some football games. I, I don't remember X's and O's. I know he, he he coached at a school called Monroe High School, and it didn't last very long into my into his into my older years. He was gone by then, but I just remember the compassion of him. I remember being at Kmart one time and him filling a cart with sweatpants, and said, "Hey, I, I could use a new sweatsuit." And he was, "No, you don't need a sweatsuit, but but my my players do and my kids do." And my, my fired kids do it. So, you know, that always rings a bell with me, you know, just the compassion that my father taught me. Um, 
so I, I, I would start with, with him, you know, Mount Rushmore questions are always really tricky. Um, in that family, my wife is a successful gymnastic coach. She has caught, taught, um, she was a collegiate gymnast herself. Her story would be much more entertaining as far as talent and what she's accomplished versus a player and a coach. Um, but, um, you know, her and I, and we've been, it'll be married 30 years here this August. We have a ton of conversations about coaching. Um, a lot of things are different, you know, in the sport of gymnastics and, and versus baseball, it's way different. But I think when you talk about the kids and how you approach things, um, I, I just have a, a lot of, a lot of respect for the way she's gone about her 25 years of being a gymnastic coach. Um, I'm a, I'm a person who loves sport. I love following Minnesota sports, all the sports. And, um, you know, I, I've only met this person once, but when I, when I think of what I, what I learned and observed as a child watching Bud Grant coach the Vikings, the way he structured a trust process in the do things ways he valued a program. You know, you hear the stories of, you know, we're not going to wear gloves and we're not going to have heaters and we're going to wear the uniform the same way. And we're going to, we're going to treat the national anthem the same way. Now uh, that's a whole nother topic nowadays, um, which I've had many conversations with my team on, but I, I just love the structure and the team first um, methods that Bud Grant displayed with his teams um and, and i gotta take away because i think i love this myself but the, how tough he was in cold weather and no sleeves and um, I, I i never i didn't wear a lot of sleeves in my coaching days either unless it was those really freezing days um you know i i'm smart enough to know that mount rushmore is is four four people um i'm gonna throw two more work influences and coaches i've got to work with um which you put it at five so I, i'm breaking the rules a little bit but um you know, you, you think you know a lot of things when you when you want to take over a program. And um, I had to wait a little bit. Our school district did not want the elementary teachers when they're starting up the program to be coaches. And so when I got into baseball with Casey Eckert at Eau Claire Memorial, um, I was his freshman coach for a year, his JV coach for a handful of years, and then his varsity assistant probably for five or six um, Casey had a lot of success at Eau Claire Memorial. He did it a long time. Casey and I definitely have differences in the way we approach things. Um, but I sure learned a lot about structuring a practice and running a practice, uh, and, and really learned a lot from Casey. And when I moved over to, to Eau Claire North, I partnered up with Dean Rosemeyer. Dean, um, was the offensive coordinator and, and I worked with the running backs and helped him call plays. And then later on, when Dean became a head coach, I moved over and became his defensive coordinator. And then Dean Rosemeyer is, is an amazing person and a wonderful man. And working with him and structuring things with him um, was very, very value, valuable to me. So um, th those, are, those are five names that um, just mean a lot to me in the coaching world. Wow. I mean, that's, there's, a, there's a ton there. One thing that really stands out to me. So I've been lucky enough to do this show for a few years now, and it just 
it's amazing how things come together. You know, it, inside the 2023 Hall of Fame class is Dave Barr from Lake Country Lutheran, who I had on um, a few years ago. And one of my, when I asked him the same question about, you know, is Mount Rushmore, he mentioned his wife as well. His wife, Janet, is a head volleyball coach at Lake Country Lutheran. And it was just to hear you talk about that uh, with your wife was just was really a goosebump moment for me. You know, you talk about um, the lessons that you learned from them. But what about like lessons you've learned throughout your own career? Obviously, you have mentors and you, you go to clinics and you, you learn and you read and you study. But as you kind of look back on your career um, and such a successful one that we're going to tap into later, like what lessons have did you learn throughout those years that set you up to be a, a better coach um, year by year? You know, it, it's just it's it, it's such an awesome profession to just live and grow with. You know, and I, I remember in an interview question saying I was ready to be a head baseball coach and I wanted to be an assistant football coach, and I, I certainly knew <clears throat> I, I had room for growth and I had a lot of things I had to learn. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, yeah, the, it, one of the things I understood is that you need to trust others. Um, you, you have to value and, and trust others, with whether it's your assistant coaches, people you're working under. And, and I, I think I've always kind of wanted to finish tasks and do things myself and say, I have to do it. Um, certainly young in my career, I, I didn't delegate very well. I like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, and I don't know if I was trying to prove something, but, um, trusting others is something that I've really grown at. And, um, you know, time management is, is obviously something as coaches, we have to balance not only our lives, but our student athletes lives. And we have to value our student athletes time and understand that they have family, they have obligations, they have certainly have schoolwork. Um, and, and learning to manage that time is something that I, I got way better at um, and, and a lesson that I've learned. And then just trust your instincts. I, I, I think at first you, you, you kind of followed a template maybe of other people's successes. Um, and you thought this is maybe what they did to have success. And maybe this is what another coach I worked with would have done in this instance. And you have to trust your instincts and then live with the result. Um, young coaches will ask me, you know, man, I, I tried the bunt on that play there. It didn't work. I screwed it up. I said, no, you, you didn't screw nothing up. You trusted your instincts and it didn't work that time. There are going to be times your instincts in here and your, your gut emotions and your, your calls you make don't work. But, but you have to understand you made a choice for a reason. Trust that and trust those instincts. So those are a few things that come to mind when I think about the where I was not just 17 years ago before I became a head coach, but 28 years ago before I became a, a, a first-year freshman football coach. All right. You, you mentioned something there, and I'm going to ask this, you know, coach to coach. And I've had this conversation with a lot of other guys in the state. But you when you were talking about – just trusting in others and this, you know, you want to do everything. You want to feel like you don't want to delegate because at the end of the day, it falls on you and you were trying to prove yourself that you knew what you were doing, you know, that you were, you could validate it. So my question for you is this, like, how did you, how do you measure success? You know, how did you go about trying to validate that you were the right guy, that you did know what you were yeah. doing? You know, 
I, I, I think it's something we all struggle with. And I'm going to ask now a Hall of Fame retired coach, like talk us through that because that is a very difficult thing to deal with, you know, when you're when the guy in the big chair. Well, it, it's a it's a tricky question to answer as well. I because after a certain amount of success, it becomes much easier to answer. But the re- the reason I say that is I followed big footsteps. Um, I, I followed Nate Sherman, who in six years had taken the North Huskies to three state tournaments and two silver balls. Uh, and the team I was taking on <clears throat> in 2006 was, was about five outs away, no, four outs away from the state champion. And, and um, I, I believe it was Sun Prairie rallied and beat him. And so most of those players were back. And, you know, then in the, I, we made it to a sectional and got beat by the team I was coaching for last, the, the previous year, um, Eau Claire Memorial. And, man, the pressure of the world was on me then. You know, I, I couldn't get that team back to state. And um, then, then they'll see all the guys I just coached the year before. They were heading off to state. And I think I was the only one out of both teams that didn't get to go either year. Um, but... You know, I remember Phil Isaacson, and Phil, Phil's a tough story because Phil passed away. Uh, he's the best player I've ever coached. Well, one of the best players I've ever coached. And the second year, you know, so the year we didn't get the state, I always had the players over for Chile during the NCAA championship game. And Phil stayed with me till 11 o'clock that night watching sports center. And we just talked life in baseball and, and I could tell he was buying into some things and, and that meant the world to me. That was a, that was a special moment. Um, you know, Phil got a tough break in life with, with brain cancer. And, um, but I, I remember him staying with me and just wanting to hang out. Um, probably would validated my career the most would be just the relationships with the kids and spending time with them. Was there a, was there a moment that you can remember um, where you felt like I'm validated? I mean, again, you talk about the relationships over the course of a 30 something year career, 17 years as head coach. Was there a moment you made that switch from wins and losses to relationships? Did something happen? Was there a turning point where you thought, or this is what it's about, or was that kind of always ingrained in you by your mentors? I wish I could tell you that the wins and losses weren't important, and it's about leading and coaching young men. But I think we all know that when you win a few games and you win a conference championship, um, you know, winning the state championship in 2011 and being able to bring that home to North High School as the first boys sport and only the third in school history. Um, We've only had four state champions in our school history. Um, That was an amazing moment. And and, and so, you know, I'm not gonna duck behind the success there. That, That was really special to see the community come together, to see a banner go up in our gym. Um. And I'm just going to be honest with you, that obviously validates some things because the huge, rich tradition of North baseball and and baseball in Eau Claire in general 
to bring a championship home like that was 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 amazing and very validating. Well, that's a perfect segue, you know, and I, I, we're all competitors, right? I mean, we're, we love the kids, we love to coach, you know, but it's, it, we, we, we love to compete. We love to compete. So I appreciate your honesty with that, you know, so state champ in 2011, state champ in 2019, six conference championships, a, yeah, I know you're a humble guy, but you know, 800 plus winning percentage, you know, you have a phenomenal resume and you get that call this Thanksgiving you made the 2023 WBCA Hall of Fame. You know, one of the reasons we do this show, especially with the Hall of Fame class, is because they give you a couple minutes, you know, at the banquet February. But I want to give you more time than that. I want you to talk about, like, what that means to you um, to be inducted into the WBCA Hall of Fame. Well, I've, um, I've, I've enjoyed my friendship with Mark Fuller, Joe Waite, up here in the Northern Country, and... Um, I have a lot of respect for our conference teams, the non-conference opponents. Um, I've been to that, those banquets quite often, and I've attended the WBCA out of my 27 years coaching baseball at least 24, 25 times. I, I've always enjoyed that clinic. I you, you don't go into coaching thinking of Hall of Fames or, truthfully, even state championships now you know you said it and i'm going to repeat it we are all competitors and and knowing that i've had a lot of talent um i i I'm, you do strive for that greatness when mark called me thanksgiving morning it, it really set me back you know I, I was sitting with my family and, and enjoying thanksgiving morning and getting ready for my children to come over and have some food and i it, it really caught me off guard i I've been our district rep for quite a while, so I've been a part of the process, but I didn't know the timeline. I certainly didn't think, you know, that I, I would be a Hall of Fame member fresh off of retiring. Um, and, and so it just really wasn't a conversation topic. Uh, I I know some numbers are there and some things are there that maybe would, would meet a criteria down the road, but it, it really caught me off guard. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, it was... It was quite an honor. It really, it really is. And, you know, you, you talk about validation as, you know, you heard my high school story. I, I didn't play all the time and in college, I, I was nothing special. Um, but I always wanted the opportunity to lead and, and, and to, to, to lead young men. And um, that, 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 that I'll throw the word validation back in there. That, that really meant something to me. Um, and I don't even know if it's set in yet here, you know, Thanksgiving wasn't that long ago. And, um, never dreamed in a million years I'd ever be a Hall of Fame member. I, I wanted to run a successful baseball pro program, but Hall of Fame certainly didn't come into that conversation ever. Well, I mean, you, you said it, you ran a very successful baseball program. I know you, you, you know, you've filled big shoes and it's just an unbelievable baseball community. But, you know, at the end of the day, someone's got to run the, run the organization. That was you. And, you know, if I, if you look back, like, what do you think the keys to success were? Like, how were you able to sustain it? I know you mentioned the players and the talent, but like what else besides, you know, the talent, what, what infrastructure was in place that you helped build to see success year after year after year? Somewhere in the mid two thousands, I started putting more things that I was doing freelance and, you know, pulling kids aside and talking about community service and, and academic structures. 
And I, I put it into our, our, our mantras, Husky pride. And I, I came up with the pride packet, you know, with the perseverance, integrity, respect, and all the, all the, all the power words we use in our gyms and our classrooms. And I, and I, I put it into a pamphlet and put in, you know, our core values of how we're going to approach the baseball team, the classroom, and in the community. And I put, I, I, shoot, I should have printed one of those out, um, but I, I, I put a, or the baseball goal I did for everybody. And I, and I think it said something like, we're going to strive to be competitive within our conference and com compete, you know, in, 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 a, in our sectional and in state level. And that's it. That's all I put in there for that. We're, we're just going to strive to compete in those three areas. And I said, we're never going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about winning conference. We're not going to talk about winning a sectional or certainly not going to talk about winning a state. And um, not going to lie, I've heard other teams do that. I've heard other kids get a microphone put in front of their face early in the season. And, you know, we, we got the team this year. We're going to state. And, and that's and we never talked about that. Um, in this packet, I had them do. Uh, now, I, I think all of us understand that there are just not enough minutes in the day or hours in the day to do everything we want to do. And as I hand these packets out to the kids, I would tell them, I'm going to hit this thing as often as we can. And we're going to get into the details here, but time's going to get short. Sometimes guys and these packets are going to um, be forgotten about at times, but we did a lot of mini goals. So I would start with, you know, you, you see the baseball goal um, by Monday. I want you to put in two mini goals uh, and we, and I would give them examples of a mini goal. Um, for example, you know, if, if we're going to do our 20 bunt station, I want to get 16 of those bunts, you know, between the cones. I wanted them to be able to, to see a, see not necessarily data, but see a number that would show that they're reaching their goal. Um, I didn't want them to just say, I'm going to be a better bunt. You know, I wanted them to say, you know, how, what, what during our practice is going to help you. And we, we just called them mini goals and, you know, you could see the kids taking that on and, Hey coach, I got a mini goal today, you know, and um, I'm going to go through ins and outs with, with, with one error. I'm going to go through in, ins and outs with, um, I'm going to chest a ball today, you know, different mini goals. And um, academically, we would talk about how are you going to set up a structure to be more successful? And uh, I remember one student that maybe academics were kind of challenging at times. And we ended up looking into his home structure what he had in place at home. He said, oh, I usually just lay in bed and do my homework. And I said, well, let, let, how do we fix that? What could we do better? And I actually challenged him to go home and talk to mom and dad about it. And the, the answer he came back was, I got a desk and a lamp now, coach. And I'm going to sit at that desk and I'm going to, I'm going to use, I'm going to work, do some of my homework there. So that, another example of a goal, um, a lot of times the community, I would say, this can be just simply doing a random act of kindness for somebody. I had about every four lines of a goal, I'd have, what was your random act of kindness? And I, I wanted to hear the kids talk about opening the door for others, um, saying thank you to a teacher, you know, complimenting a teacher, complimenting their parents. We always talked about, you know, it's so easy, guys, you, you're taking, you're, you're forgetting about your parents, go home and, and compliment them tonight. And um, you know, the whole idea there is not that they're being forced by me to go do these things, 
but it, they're starting to see it in their lives. And then you tell examples, you know, I, I came home and I cooked dinner for my wife, you know, and you, you, you want to show them real life examples. Um, that packet. And then at each team, you know, when someone would forget it, you know, we, we would talk about how, no, nope, that we're not going to forget this packet. It's going to look like it's been through a war. It's going to be in our bag and it's going to have rips and tears in it, but we're going to have it on us. And, um, and, and, and then let the kids take ownership, you know, let them share their, their stories with each other. And I, I think that built close teams, teams that enjoyed being together. Um, and, and, and I also had, had a lot of players and teams that enjoyed that to begin with. They're, they're friends, but it, I, th I think it brought everybody a little bit together because they would hear each other share their stories and share their goals um, and, and what, what they were working on. And um, we, we had a lot of neat moments with that packet. And, you know, sometimes once again, I'd forget about it, want to do something special in it. And the, the next thing you know, you're, you're at the seed meeting and, um, you know, where did all the time go? But well, those are, those are some of the things that I think help build a successful program. When we start talking about um, a, a community academically and as players, Um you know, I think I'll let you continue to ask the questions, but, you know, I, there, there's some other things on the field that I think we did too, that, you know, reached some success as well. Well, and that's where I was going next. Thanks for the, uh, the softball is uh, I do want to talk some baseball, you know, you've, you've hit us some social, emotional pieces, mentorship. You've been extremely vulnerable with us about your experience, but I do want to talk a little baseball. Like, you know, what do you think you guys did in the practice environment or in the training environment or on the field? to put yourself in a position to win conference championships, win a sectional, compete in Appleton, win two state championships. Like what, give us some good baseball nuggets. Well, it started with a structure that I think all three levels, you know, our, our JV two team was mostly freshmen and some sophomores. Our JV team was like most JV teams. And then our, we had, we had a varsity team, of course, and we had one main field, that's it. And then we had a mock field and we had two batting cages, and so we rotated around those three spaces. And, and then we also had an open space, a green space that was about the size of a half a soccer field. So that was our facility. We did not have two full baseball diamonds at Eau Claire, nor still don't. Um, those teams knew the structure. They knew where they were going to be at 315. They knew when they were going to rotate off the field and one team was coming on, one team was coming off. Um, the structure could certainly fluctuate, but they had an idea of what to expect each day. My JV teams were always instructed um, to play everybody. Everybody gets starts in every double header. So they knew that they were going to play. And my coaches were also under the understanding that they could make decisions for those single headers to play a team. Maybe they wanted to certainly the crosstown rivalry games and some of that stuff. Um, and they had the flex, the, the flexibility to sub as they needed. Um, but I think, all those players understanding that they were going to get some playing time if they were doing things right within our structure. Um, at the varsity level, we had a really good pregame practice routine we would go through that had a lot of continuity and, and structure in place. Once again, the kids would know what's next and what we're moving on to. We would really break down situations. And I, and I think we were a strong situational team, both offensively and defensively. 
we would start with all pitchers on the mound and a certain group playing infield and a lot of base runners. Um, we would work the fundamentals prior to this with an infield coach and outfield coach. And then I would take the extras or the catchers, sometimes the corner infielders and, and break skills down. So we tried to get 15 minutes of positional breakdown. Then we'd come into this situational time that I'm talking about. Um, I remember youth coaches telling me every time we get a comebacker to the mound, he throws it away. And I'd ask him, okay, are you practicing this? Well, no, we do ins and outs and they're all playing a position. So we would, you know, we would physically get a couple reps at fielding a ground ball in a variety of spots, throwing it to first, fielding a ground ball, getting a shuffle step in and throwing it to the infielder who we also just got done repping the finger point to each other. So they, you know, I wouldn't hit the ball till they, till the shortstop would finger in. I got second or a second baseman would do that. Um, and then we'd wrap the ground ball to the first baseman where the pitcher had to get over and they had to communicate. That was always going to be the start of our situational routine. Take 90 seconds. Every pitcher on staff would get multiple reps. Um, bunt defense. We, from then, we would start repping signs with the base runners. Either I would give an, a defense a call or my infield coach would give a defense a call. And now we're moving. We're dropping bunts down. Um Go back to me being a good bunner. I could do those a lot live if the pitchers could throw a strike. And that was always fun because the kids liked to see me, whether I was in my 30s or in my 50s, you know, putting bunts down. And 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 then they're feeling it off the bat live and getting a real natural look to it. Um, once again, the mechanics part of it were broken down earlier in practice. And now we're repping the situations that come with it. Uh, the bunt specialty plays, the wheel play, you know, all, all things that we're repping. Meanwhile, my pitching coach is arriving at about this time. He's working with the pitchers and helping runners as they're coming in the third. My first base outfield coach, he's coaching over at first, talking to base runners and teaching and helping them become better base runners, um, helping them read angles on balls and things like that. Um, by the time we get through this situational time, we finish the whole thing, you know, we get through the first and thirds and the force box and the trick gadget plays. Um, I, I sometimes feel like I didn't do a really good job of defending gadget baseball. And I, I that was always a hard one, but we'd always finish with infield in, runner on third. Let, let's look them back and make a throw or make a throw home. So we, we would rep all the various plays that can happen in baseball. When I say all, I know I'm missing a lot because so many things happen we've never seen before. Um, I'll keep rolling here if you want to go into offense, but, you know, we really worked hard. And earlier you asked me about my younger years to my later years of emphasizing situational offense and situational swings, situational approach. I, I never was the type of guy here where, okay, you guys got 10 minutes in the cage, get 40 swings each and blah, blah, you get 40 in here. I was always the guy that did less reps, more in and out of the cage. So they weren't swinging tired. But as I got deeper into my career, we would break down, not just eight swings and out, four swings and out, two swings and out. We would start going, all right, eight swings with a, with a OO count, five swings with a two O count five swings with a one, two count. 
And I know the game of baseball changed um, changed quite a bit in my 17 years as a head coach. But we stuck to that. Let's have an approach. Let's get that foot on the ground. Let's shorten our load. And let's get the dang barrel to the baseball and make defenses make plays. Um, Dave Sparger asked me the other day, he was a really successful coach from Eau Claire Memorial. He goes, you know, I – we always knew you had good players. You go, but how, how did you get so much production from your seven through nine guys? Um, and, and it was a neat question to hear. And I, I think the answer to that is I told him, I said, you, 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 there's nobody, no stress when you strike out, we need to put the ball in play and we need to shorten up and drive balls through, through the infield drive the triangle we had a we had a triangle approach from left center to right center they say that doesn't mean that's where you're going to hit the ball but let's just let the ball get a little deeper and let you compete with off speed and and pitches on that outside corner and and really get that barrel to the ball and compete and, and that was something we we took a lot of pride in um when, when times got tough and you're facing those special players, those, those guys throwing, I know the guns and people are going to say they're throwing 92 and 89 and all that, but I, I feel like the, the players we were facing that were really good back, you know, were, were mid eighties and sometimes high eighties. Uh, that's a real challenge. And, you know, we'd crank the pitching machine up because we, we didn't have anybody that could simulate that. Um, and we'd make them, we call it wear it like a badge station, you know, and, and, your, your goal here, we're back to the mini goals, is, is, is not to crush one or hit one at, you know, through the netting, but get the barrel on it. See if you can get the barrel on three of these. And then the next time through, see if you can get the barrel on two of them and really put stress on the defense. And, and I think our, our, our batting averages were high. We, we had a lot of high batting averages through the year, team batting averages. And, um, you know, I, I think in the later 2000s and everybody started talking launch angle and, and exit velocity we had so many kids that you know you want to turn and hit long fly balls and, and we really taught getting that barrel to the ball and competing against these pitchers and making the defense feel the stress all right so now now i got to lean in a little bit on that so you know the way young people are taught baseball and maybe taught to swing and to pitch. And you know, it, it just seems like if, if it's down in the Milwaukee area and the Eau Claire area and across the country, you know, how are you navigating those conversations, right? Kid comes in, this is what I've been doing. I'm trying to hit the ball out of the yard. I'm trying to get a, you know, 27 degree launch angle. You know, you, all these things that there's a place for, you know, it's part of the game, right? It's, we, they're part of the game, but you know, you know, what, what wins at the high school level? How do you have those conversations? Um, so it's not a club versus high school or my high school coach is too old school or whatever. Like, how did you navigate those, those situations? The first thing that comes to mind, because I know we, we all, we're all dealing with this is by the time that became really popular, I think there was a respect element I had at North and I have a hard time saying that, but I did not have many power struggles with kids. Our kids were excited to come into our program, be a part of our system. 
I think the structure in place of being comfortable in our system and enjoying our system. And we, we had, we had fun, you know, we had, we, it was a great, it was a fun atmosphere and that helped with not having those power struggles. There were certainly kids that had different angles with their bad and some things I started noticing around this time frame you're talking about. And, and I would have conversations with them. And when I gave my hitting talks, my main first time, you know, I rotate four different groups through my station. I'm going to talk hitting with you. I always said, I'm not here to change what you're doing. I'm here to help guide it, maybe make some adjustments, but I am not here to blow up what you're doing and, and have, you know, 48 clones. Um, I'm not going to get into conversations with linear, circular launch angle with you, but I will teach you a path that I think will make you successful. And it's up to you if you want to utilize it or not. Um, I don't think I ever had to go as far as to say, and with, you know, with that comes, you know, I'm the guy doing the lineup card and um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't think I ever had to get into that. I, one really talented player here toward the end of my career that had a lot of time in a launch angle academy. Two years later, that same academy wasn't using the terminology launch angle anymore. They were, they were using something different. And, and I, I just said, you know, what we're going to do with your swing is just try to get the barrel to the ball a little sooner. Um, and I think by dignifying what he was already doing, um, I, I never had any problems with his instructor or any of the instructors around here. So I didn't get into bad mouthing instructors. I, I didn't want to get into that. And by dignifying what he was already doing, offering maybe a little tweak, he would buy in. Um, <clears throat> that player, even, even when he graduated, you know, we, 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 my assistant coaches and I would talk and just say, man, he's still getting real, really long and really loopy. And, and you're seeing a lot of this, you know, a lot of balls going up high, and a lot of flyouts to left center. And, um, but he was also really successful and he was a really, really important piece to, he's only, he's only well, I'm not going to get into that, I guess, but he was, he was a really important player for us. And he, I gave him the room to be himself <clears throat> And because of his quality characteristics, he he certainly wanted to listen to us and, and get some of our advice as well. I also am quite certain that he didn't do dual instruction. I don't know if I had a player that did dual instruction during the season. What I mean by that is, you know, he'd finish our practice and run to this place to get more instruction. He would get swings there. I know that, but I believe that he wasn't getting that dual instruction. Um, I, I do know that that does happen and I, I don't think I can answer that because I didn't have to deal with it. Um, uh, but I, I it, it, there definitely have to be some conversations, especially if, if it became a power struggle. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing, and this is me just kind of diagnosing it from a conversation, but I think one of your superpowers is you're an educator. You come into a situation with a meet you where you're at, you know, I mean, you, you teach elementary school Fayed. I mean, I, I have young children who are in elementary school and I, I can only imagine it takes a special person to, 
to organize. So coming into a conversation with compassion, dignifying someone, especially something as personal as their swing by the time they're 16, 17, 18 years old, I think that approach had to set you up for success where others don't. So I, I got to think that's one of the superpowers of yours. Um, it got me thinking about one more question. You've you've been, you know, you've had the ability to coach some high end players, some phenomenal players. Like as you think about them, you don't need to list them by name unless you want to. But like, what characteristics do they have in common? Like, what things stand out about their attributes and characteristics? Like, what are the best do better than anybody else? Well, if I could really touch on those elementary kids for a second, if that's all right, um, I. I... I really thought that someday I would move into the high school and, and move on from elementary. And what a what a what a profession that has been for 31 years. Those 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 kids have so much love. And it and it just over the years, it just became such a special place to go work and teach. Um, I'm glad you're hearing that in my answers and my conversation because um all of my coaches for the most part are educators as well. Um, and I think there's something to that training and getting, you know, getting that degree of, of understanding the kids we work with um, doesn't mean you have to be an educator. I understand that as well. Um, but um, all, all of my coaches through the years had that strong educational background. And, and I, I certainly enjoyed the elementary kids. Um, what was the other part of this question? I, um, characteristics of some of your, your best players yeah. throughout the years. Start with multiple sport athletes. Uh, you know, Sammy Stang is a, a Division One hockey player for the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, Tyler Herman was a three-sport, three-year starter um, at, at basketball, football, and baseball. And um, said I didn't really want to get into the names because it, it's so unfair that you're going to leave people out. Um, I think back to six, seven, Tyler Brown. Uh, being a Division One basketball recruit over in Michigan, and uh, I, th I think at one point he was starting to ask me questions about maybe if there's some places to go play baseball. Um, I can think of some hockey players that were going through the recruiting process. Um, like Henry Wilkinson was was a verbally committed to go play basketball and ended up going to up to Duluth to pitch this year. And um, so I. I I've always promoted these players being multiple sport athletes in 31 years, Tim, I've never recommended a kid to play fall ball in 2015. I was starting to wonder if I was falling behind in the times because of that. Um, and the amount of baseball that these kids play nowadays, um, we are on a three-year rut of not advancing too far in the postseason. Um, I was starting to wonder if some of those things were, I was going the wrong direction. And then we went to a handful of state tournaments in a row. So that, that multiple sport athlete thing is, is really important. Um, I touch base on quality young men. Um, you know, not every player I, I, I coached was a choir boy, that's for sure. But um, you, you get into a program and, and you, you offer some structure and, and a system and you tell them you're going to, you're going to be a part of this system. Um, I have had very, very few issues or code violations or problems with a player staying through our program in my career. I'm very fortunate to have that. Um, a lot of that's due to these young men being good people and having good family structure. Um, but I, I think it's also 
wanting to be a part of the history of North baseball. Once again, that started way before me. Um, you know, Coach Coach Pachel and Coach Fadness and Coach Sherman um, created a structure over time that kids wanted to be a part of that. And, and so I, I, I think that's a big thing, history and tradition. Um, when, I've, when I've had the very fortunate opportunity to reach some high levels, I always felt it was important to include that in the conversation or the post-game interviews. You know, I wanted um, Husky alumni to understand that, you know, if we didn't win a state championship or even get to a state tournament, you were still in a really important part of the structure of all this because of the success and how hard you worked. You know, it, it, it's so unfair to be judged on a sectional victory or a state championship because of the amount of effort and work all of these teams put in. Um, I, I imagine you see that too. You know, you you had you had a special moment last year getting through to the state tournament, but but it doesn't devalue any of the teams from your past. You know, and and that's that's what the press wants to ask. They want to you know they want to ask all the questions about who won it. Um, but I, I think we have to certainly remember the teams that built the history. And, and were the kids that these other kids were cheering for previously and, and, and created that structure um, and that value and love to play for a team, um, in this case, the North Huskies. Wow. All right. You've given us so much. And now I'm pushing up on like an hour, but that's just two baseball guys talking baseball, right? Now, I got a couple more things I want to ask you. Is It's kind of the yell Brian Kane million-dollar question. You know, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started coaching? I, I think one of the biggest things is, is when I came in, I wanted to do everything. And I, I think I just become so much better at learning from others, taking others advice. Um, you know, I remember as a football coach thinking Joe Labuda over there at Menominee sure is, has a successful thing going. And, what is he doing over there and, and studying his football film and watching his players and just learning from others. Um, but, you know, about a half hour ago, I started talking quite a bit. I think I talked in circles to be honest with you, but I really was talking about the whole student athlete and, you know, don't get me wrong that, that two hours we're at practice where we're practicing baseball. We're not singing songs and then, you know, trying to save the world, but we, 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 as, as I got older in my career and talking about the whole athlete, um, valuing my time with the kids and then just learning how special each team was. Um, well, those are some things I just wish as a younger coach, when, when you're, you're pushing, pushing, pushing uh, that I maybe would have just slowed down a little bit and just thought about, Hey, I, I got some people I can learn from here and some people that can help guide me. And I'm going to, I'm going to utilize their talents and, um, well, those are some things that just come to mind. Well, you mentioned it and I saw, you know, obviously WBCA is a big part of, of your journey, a big part of your coaching career, but um, you also talked about just, you know, learning from others. So as a learner, like how did you get your professional development fix as a baseball coach? Were you a clinician? Do you watch videos? Is there a small group of coaches that you, you talk with often? Um, what was your professional development on the baseball side? I... That WBCA clinic 
what was amazing to go to when I started going to that as an assistant coach at Memorial. And I'd come out of there, not a, not a real good note taker. Um, I'm a fire teacher for a reason. I don't like to write and do those types of things. I need to move and be with kids, but um, I would come out of there with so much information and then finding the little bits and pieces to bring back to your program. You know, there, there were some years I'd come back with a whole notebook thinking a, a young coach could start a program with this information. There are so many good speakers. Um, but you, we all know there's not enough time to do that. And you're not going to change your program from year to year. But finding the right bits that you can implement in a short Wisconsin baseball season was really important. Um, and with that, conversations, you know, um, just having conversations with your assistants and, and the conference coaches. Uh, I'd always greet, greet our opponents with a, with a game ball and a, and a lineup card and a roster and hopefully be able to spend five minutes with our opponents every time, you know, before a game and just listen to them. Listening is really important and hearing what they're doing. Um, and if they, you hear something that intrigues you, you ask. Uh, but there, there's, there's so many people that have so many great ideas and knowledge out there. I, I think it's just, it's, such a great game and a great, great topic to talk about. And uh, yeah, that, that, those are the things that, but that, but that clinic's the, the, the most one that I've, I've taken so much back from. And, and with that, um, the national one, uh, the help me out here, I'm drawing a blank, the AB. ABCA. AB, thank you. Um, got to go to that once. And wow, that was, that was something special. Um, oddly enough, it was, it was the, 2019 one and you know i'm just gonna say this our because i got to go and i took one assistant coach with me our, our district actually thought i took advantage of funding on that and, and made some hard line rules about that and once again it's something i'd like to go in and have a conversation with them and say do you understand how important that was to that year and some of the things as a so i was 19 heck i was a 20 some year veteran coach and a 14 year head coach to get to go do that and I came out of there with so much, no, so many new thoughts and ideas, um, and and was accused of taking advantage of funding. And um, you know that those are some of the battles we get as educators and coaches. But um, yeah, that that was that was quite a. Any young coaches out there, you get a chance to go to that, um, you know, get to that. That's an amazing experience. Yeah, you know, I think about, you know, you lived it. You lived it with young children. You lived it with you know, teenagers, you've, you know, a teaching job, a coaching job, you're doing all this. And like you said, we got a short window, um, a short window of time to coach our kids. So that, maybe that, that's a little bit of a bonus question for you here. As you think about the state of baseball in Wisconsin right now, um, if you had a, a magic wand, is there something that you would change um, in regards to how the baseball is structured in the state of Wisconsin at the high school level? Well, as someone who's been fortunate to go to a handful of state tournaments, um, I always felt rushed. I wanted this to be an experience. I wanted it to be about the baseball. You know, we, we, we weren't going to go and make it a vacation, but I, you know, we, we always had a structure and a criteria and an agenda, but I always felt rushed and played in that eight o'clock game one time and got beat in that game. And, you know, you're out of there, you know, and, you can sit and watch and enjoy some other games, but let's be honest, a lot of the kids are pretty heartbroken at that point. And, you know, I, we, we ended up spending the night that year and then getting out of Dodge, but 
Um, you know, if I, it sounds like that is changing right now. And, and because I'm not involved anymore, I really haven't looked into what the change is going to be. Um, but I'd like to see it spread out a little bit. I love the fact that Division One gets to show their pitching depth. Baseball is a game of pitching depth. So I hope we stay at eight teams. Um, I, I wish Division Two, Three, and Four could have an eight-team tournament so that more teams could experience it. Based on my conversations with many of those coaches, there's just not enough pitching depth to sometimes do that. So, you know, I would let them be the experts in that category. Um, but I, I, I'd love to see more kids rewarded. Um, I, I think a second site might not be a bad idea. We finished a game at 1.50 in the morning one time sending our student body who wasn't staying in hotels driving home at that time at night um that that seemed a little ridiculous to me i was on the advisory committee at the time um and nothing changed you know the next handful of years but it sounds like that's changing now trying to think of how i voted I, i'm pretty sure i voted to keep the sectional double header um, that, that's a note that i had here back on some of the success we had I've heard coaches talk about hating doubleheaders, especially some of the Saturday ones. Um, I've always said, you know, I, I moved up to this place up here on some water. And when I have to leave the house at 630 in the morning, on a beautiful Saturday in May, and I look at the water and think that looks better than a Saturday doubleheader, that it maybe be time to get out. Um, didn't happen this year. Every time I left and there were two Saturdays that were gorgeous. Um, couldn't wait to get on that bus. And I want the kids to understand that. Um, we preach that we had a saying about it's a full day of baseball or we're not going to get home at six or seven. It's a full day of baseball. You signed up for this. And this is what we choose to do because this is fun for us. And the more you talk about things like that, the, the more they buy into it and they understand he's right. I get it. There's some long Saturdays in there and certainly some of those double headers when it's 38 and there's a wind going. Those, those are a little different too. But um, once again, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, look at it. Hey, this is what we signed up for. You know, this is baseball in Wisconsin. So I, I'm really rambling on a tangent here, but stressing the double headers. So I, I kind of hope they keep that sectional double header. I think our kids and the, the way they took pride in a six-hour day of baseball, if you play game one, sit game two, play game three, you're talking about a, a plan in place for almost 12 hours. And the, the, the team that has the fortitude on that day is going to, is maybe not the best team, but the team that can handle that double header um, has a chance to come out on top. So I, I don't have a lot of changes. I certainly liked our conference going to a home and home against the same opponent. That was really neat. I don't know if other conferences are doing that, you know, so you, um, you get to see the pitching depth of a program or a your opponent. Um, I think the pitch count helped. I think it makes for some awkward moments sometimes in the middle of a batter or middle of an inning. Um, however, I really feel it helped us and I hope others would take this as a chance to develop more pitchers and use those pitchers. Um, some of my late career success, we were using pitchers 
running new pitchers out. We're going 30 next, 30 next, 40 next, you know, and, and running a, a double header on a Saturday and using six, seven guys. And man, that, that, that that's a feel good moment when that many kids get to contribute. Um, and, and, and you're not, you're not looking, they're not all ones and twos at that point. You're looking for kids to get balls in play and, and let your defense play. So I, I think the pitch count helped. Once again, those awkward moments, I think, were probably trumped by the more kids that got to pitch because of it. So Beautiful. Well, hey, last one. This is when I, I, I cut the mic and, and you just roll us, roll us um, out of here. But take as much time as you want. Just give us some advice. You know, you got new coaches, veteran coaches. Just you, as you look at your career, um, all the lessons learned. I know you probably hit on a lot of these already. And, and I love the tangents and we love the rambling because we're just you know, thinking out loud. But what's some additional advice that you have for coaches? Well, I appreciate that because I do just like to talk the game and sometimes it takes you in different directions. Um, you know, the first thing is, is I hope it's been a theme of our conversation today. Um, but get to know these kids. Um, get to know your student athletes and your players. Um, the relationships are what you're going to remember at the end. Um doesn't mean you have to be best friends. And, and I've told that to them. You know, I, I, I have a tough love side. I have a hard-nosed side. The kids know that. Um, not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. Um, don't use poor language around the kids. I don't think that needs to be done out there, youth coaches. Um, but, but, but have a serious side, but get to know them. The best time to get to know them, I don't care if you're talking a t-ball team, a 10-year-old team, or a high school team, is – you know, that, that beginning of practice dynamic routine and playing catch. And I heard this at the clinic and we all get to the field and I got coaches trying to find things and we'll get the equipment out of my car and get everything organized. And at some point I would just head to that, that foul line. I'd walk around the whole setup and talk to every player, try to do that every day. And it might be simple as how was your day today? And I'll tell you what, those kids understood what I was doing. Um, one of my players quoted me in the paper on that. And if they do tell you something, oh, I kind of had a rough day today, you ask them why. And then you find out where their head's at for this practice. And, um, you know, we have bad days and we come into different things grumpy and so do they. And um, that, those, that eight minutes where I walked around and just had conversations with kids, sometimes it's joking, sometimes it's talking about their personal life. Um, I've also done do a throwing routine that has purpose with, with footwork and different things and all that too. Um, but I think I later felt that that conversation piece was more important. Um, it forms trust with your players when you have those conversations. Um, I used to always, at the end of every pregame practice, I would read the lineups the next day. I wanted them to know who was playing before they left that day. I wanted them to get into a headspace that could prepare for that. Um, it may it sometimes included bullpen pitchers and relief pitchers. I also told them this: I'm the head coach and may make changes overnight. I may have to make a change, but I didn't have to do that very often. Um, I told you earlier that my JV teams played everybody. This past season, every doubleheader we had. I started almost everybody. I had a couple of kids that were kind of pitchers only, but they pitched on those days. So they also played. Um, I always felt that, you know, if we're considered a quality program, that means I got 16 quality players 
And if we're going to go on a Saturday doubleheader, we're going to play them all. I've had some disagreements on that with some of my assistants. Um, and that, that's an important thing to have quality assistants that will disagree with you because um, it, it's, they offer so much insight, but playing those kids on those Saturdays and getting everybody a chance. First of all, you learn about them. You learn that, Hey, that kid really stood out today. I think he deserves another opportunity. Um, Later in my career, when you asked that question earlier, I started bringing the kids into practice conversations. So, you know, we talk about the different ways you do BP. Hey, we're going to face such and such from over there. You're a lefty that does this. Do you guys want gas tomorrow on the pitching machine or you want curve? Um, you know, I don't use a pitching machine for a lot, but I always had a station with it doing the things we couldn't simulate as coaches. Uh, getting their answers instead of me just assuming something. Um I, th I think all of us out there know we have smart student athletes and they provide a lot of good information for you. Um, never over practiced. I don't think we tried to keep it to two hours plus field maintenance. Um, a lot of times Fridays, if we had a Saturday doubleheader, we got out of, that, out of there by four 30 a lot. Um, we use that as a change up practice and we do a lot of different neat things there. Um, I don't think more time always means more, more, more improvement. I, I think sometimes we got to, we got to remember that these are 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids and their, their brain need different avenues as well. Let them play. I, I've seen more of this concerning at the youth levels where coaches want to joystick these players around. And, um, you know, I, the most simple one that comes to mind. And if other coaches do this a different way, I'm fine with that. This is how I did it. But, um, you know, I remember a player one time still standing on third on a tag up on a deep fly to left. He said, I was waiting for you to say go. And I said, well, you, you can just turn your neck and you can see, I've already told you you're going. So you can go and save that tick of a partial second and go yourself. Um, let them play. Um, you know, get the, get the work done during practice and let them play, put a sign down. Um, I'm going to jump into the youth clinic here, youth, youth ages. Um, I think sometimes we're doing too much. This is going to make me sound like the old grumpy guy, but once again, back to that three sport thing. I remember the weeknights watching my kids play in the local leagues. Um, I think that's a pretty neat moment for the community and families and, I don't know how many weeknight games there are anymore. It seems like it's all let's sprint to get the travel team together and get on the road. Um, once again, I know that's making me sound like the old guy, but let these kids camp and swim and, and fish and boat and, and, and enjoy other avenues because we, we all think baseball is really important, but I think letting them have different exposures and enjoy things that these kids do. And once again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about that eight to 14 year old range right now where um, let, let's not forget they enjoy other things too. Um, and, and maybe slow down a little bit with the travel and also all that, all that extra baseball they're getting nowadays. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to come across as the negative guy and all that. Cause you know, I put my kids through much of it too. Um, but I never said no to swimming on a night after a game and, um, sometimes we stayed out maybe a little bit later than they should have, but um, they, we, we sure had fun.
And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach Johnson for taking time out of his busy day. Like I mentioned, when I reached out to him, the guy just, he's a giver. He wants to talk baseball. He wants to serve coaches in this state, you know, and I got to be honest with you, right? I, I, I'm from the, you know, right, from Waukesha, kind of this Milwaukee bubble I've lived in for a long time, my baseball career, you know, 20 years of coaching high school baseball. And, you know, doing this podcast has really exposed me to other coaches across the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, I think about, we had Andy Nissan from Eau Claire Regis earlier, you know, a few episodes ago, now Bob Johnson. I mean, there's just dudes coming out everywhere. And, and that's on the field, off the field. Um, you know, it's just, it's amazing to see the state come together and that the kind of the fraternity of coaches that is. So this is also episode one of two where I sit down with members of this Hall of Fame class of 2023. So you got to join us next week um, when we sit down with another Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, it's, today I'm recording this uh, on March 10th. It's going to release. We're a couple days away here from pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, we just got absolutely dumped with snow here in Menominee Falls. We got seven and a half inches, but man, hopefully that sun comes out. We get it melted. But like all of you, you're planning for pitchers and catchers week, um, tryouts, team selections, you know, indoors, um, you know, and just looking ahead to your season. Hopefully the juices are flowing. The exhaustion level is not there yet. You know, I, I kind of fight that, that that sometimes as well. Um, you know, you got to have enough juice to to teach, to coach, to you know, if you be a husband, be a dad, if that's, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, you got to do all these things. So kind of getting, you know, cranked back up to, to be a lot of things to a lot of people, have to make some really difficult decisions here. So anyways, um, and Coach Johnson, I'm telling you, reach out to him. The guy is phenomenal. You know, just an absolute resource, love his perspective. You know, he's like old school without being too hard-headed. You know, it's like the old school principles, but still being able to work with you know, today's travel ball kid, today's academy high-end kid, which I think is, is really a testament to his leadership. So anyways, thanks for tuning in. Pass this along, group text, social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.